Well, you know as well as I do that we are less than two weeks away from Christmas. And uh, for some, that strikes fear. For others, joy, etc. But uh, I have no doubt in my mind that there are many in this room who share my very deep desire to keep a good focus on Christmas. Have a wonderful Christmas season. And by that we mean a worshipful and Christ-centered Christmas. But you know as well as I do that, that doing that isn't always easy. There's an honest reality that we all must face. And that is just because we long to keep Christ first in Christmas doesn't necessarily mean we do that well. And sometimes how, how to go about doing that can be vague. Surely, there is more to it than just attending a couple special services. You know, maybe reading a few Christmas devotionals, maybe participating in a, in a holiday outreach or something. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55, has been an absolute godsend to me this Christmas season. I found it to be a magnificent short manual on how to genuinely worship Christ during this Christmas season and beyond, of course. I trust that it will be an inspiration to you as well. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Our, our text for today is from verses 46 to 55. But let's start reading back in verse 26 to get a, a, some of the bigger picture of where, where we're going. Luke 1, beginning of verse 26 says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Allow me to interject. Can you imagine hearing these things? Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Allow me to interject again. How would you and I have responded to the angel's message? And the angel departed from her. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And here's our text for today, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear Him. He has done mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to, his, to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. What an exaltation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so deserving of everything Mary just said. And Lord, today, our hearts long to echo this prayer. Lord, we want these truths, these expressions of heartfelt worship to be sincere in our own hearts. Lord, we want to honor Christ this Christmas season for Him truly to be the reason for our celebration, for Him to truly be the center of all we say and do and celebrate this wonderful time of the year. So we pray, Lord, that as we study in your word now, you and your spirit will open our eyes to the wonderful truths of the glory of God so that we too will express, express such wonderful words of praise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may know, and it may even be marked in some of your Bibles, that this whole poem of praise in verses 46 to 55 has come to be known as Mary's Magnificat. Magnificat. That's the first word in the Latin translation of this poem. And some of your Bibles even translate the word exalt in verse 46 as magnify. This is Mary's magnification of God. This is her exaltation. Thus the title of our study today, Christmas Exaltation. So let's begin our study in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. I trust that as we continue through this study, and you ponder these words throughout the week, that that first phrase will become so sweet in your ears like it has mine. My soul exalts the Lord. The Bible Dictionary defines the word exalt this way. To make great, to esteem highly, to extol, laud, celebrate. And we know that God is indeed exalted. 
He is high and lifted up because that's who he is. But the specific wording of Mary's exaltation here, we note is very personal. And it prompts us to ask, does our soul exalt him as well? Does our soul agree with and echo and magnify who he is? God is God. But our most inner being should also honor and declare him to be so. The word magnify is wonderful in this context. Magnify not only means to make something look large. We tend to think of it as this, this whole expression here is a, is a big and awesome text. But the word magnify also specifically refers to zooming in on something so you can see the details. Isn't that awesome? The way we speak about God should make Him look big for the purpose of highlighting the countless magnificent attributes of who He is, of His character. We're talking about His righteousness and His salvation. His immutability and His infallibility. His eternality and His omnipotence. His omnipresence. We're talking about His perfect judgment and His perfect mercy. His faithfulness and loving kindness. And the list goes on. There's a wonderful truth at play in the text here already. True worship. True praise and exaltation magnifies God. It doesn't just say, dear Lord, thank you for being a great God. It actually explores and savors what great means. When we properly exalt God, others will see Him better for who He is. They will not just know that we love Him and think a lot of Him. They will actually see Him better for who He is. Think about this with me. The way we pray should magnify God. The way we worship here on Sunday mornings should magnify God. The way we live life should magnify God. All these things should paint the finest details of the wonder of God. Sadly, many people live with the illusion of a small God, a weak God, a distant God. And sadly, they give that impression to others as well. Perhaps some, for some, they only see Him on Sundays, but not Mary. Her innermost being exalts and magnifies the Lord. And she continues in verse 47, My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. There's not only the reverence and the worthiness factor, but the joy factor. Ponder this. Some might bow to a king, but not rejoice in him. Such has often been the case throughout world history. Some kings are oppressors, not saviors. How appropriate that Mary not only see God for who he is, but rejoice, again, from her innermost spirit that He is her Savior. He's my God. He's my Savior. Such truth brings not only reverence, 
but the grandest and truest sense of joy as well. Mary cannot sincerely exalt God if he is not her God. The same is true for every human being. The heart of true joy rests in the personal relationship a person has with God. Verse 48, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. The psalmist in Psalm 8 verse 4 touched on this same matter. The same question came to his mind when he asked, what is man that you take thought of him? Who is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Both Mary and the psalmist share a common wisdom. They recognize their humble state, their lowly humanity, in contrast to the magnificence of God. Unfortunately, sometimes we not only see a great God, but we can tend to see a great self as well. Are you with me on this? Not that it's even possible to truly see a great God and a great self, but you get my point. My grandfather on my dad's side passed away some 20 years ago or so. He was miraculously and graciously saved in the hospital days before he passed away. He put his faith in Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness of his sins and for the hope of eternal life. And he gave this testimony, I'm just so happy that God accepted me. Think about that. I'm just so happy that God accepted me. Isn't it interesting? We usually hear it the other way around. We accept God. We accept Christ. And, and there's some truth to that. We do accept His free gift. We do accept His love. But there is also the grand truth that it is God who accepts us. And that is really the wonder of salvation. Through Christ's shed blood on the cross and in His resurrection, God it is who accepted us. Do you and I regularly take time to consider our humble state? And does it unleash a wellspring of gratitude toward God our Savior? Lord, I can hardly believe you would save a sinner like me. Such a prayer should often be on the tip of our tongues, in the forefront of our minds. God did indeed bless Mary with great favor. And undoubtedly, that was in part because Mary recognized her humble state. That made her a humble person. And what was it that substantiated her humility? In part, it's how she referred to herself, bond slave. What an incredible word. What an incredible view of oneself. Again, Mary exemplifies the kind of person God favors, the kind of person God uses for much good in this world, and that is those who see themselves as willing, dedicated servants of the Most High God. On the contrary, and especially so in this entitled culture in which we live, we are so prone to see ourselves as deserving, at least to some degree, deserving to be saved, deserving to have the blessings of God. 
It's the nature of the entitled generation. And yes, every generation struggles with this, some more than others. In the recesses of our mind, there can be this subtle thought. God has been good to me because I'm just a good person. Such a view of oneself does not align well with the exemplary prayer of Mary and the truths we see all throughout Scripture. We are sinners saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves. Aren't you glad God doesn't take into consideration our worthiness of His favor and salvation? Instead, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Mary saw herself as undeserving, unfit, unlikely, and yet blessed. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should be downcast or self-debasing or overly negative, falsely humble, and so on. Hating oneself versus hating sin and the, the enemies of darkness, the forces of darkness, the enemies of God, Hating oneself is never commanded or condoned in Scripture. We are made in the image of God for the glory of God. And Scripture says that when God made us, He pronounced us good. But sin's curse, as you know, soon fell on humanity. And our true state is a humble one. A state in which we are desperate for a Savior. When we see ourselves in our situation for who we are and what we are in, then we find all the reason in the world to exalt the Lord our God and our Savior. We find all the reason in the world to rejoice in Him. Why? Because He had regard for us. He paid invaluable attention to us. He turned His compassion, His mercy, His power, His love toward us. This is why Christians celebrate the arrival of the Christ child. The Messiah has come. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Verse 48 continues, For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. Notice, there is not a single phrase in this psalm of worship that does not apply to you and me as followers of Christ. As children of God, there's not a truth here that is irrelevant to us. This morning, I want us all to put ourselves in Mary's shoes for a moment and recognize the value, the importance, the necessity and worthiness of us making these kinds of expressions of praise to God and making these expressions our own. If you're a follower of Christ, a born-again child of God. Remember that the Holy Spirit of God indwells you. And behold, from this time on, all generations will consider you blessed. For all eternity, you and I will be considered most blessed because we are blessed. Just as Mary, think about this, just as she was privileged to carry the Christ child, you and I are privileged to carry the Holy Spirit. 
to the utter, and, and to carry the message and the power of Jesus Christ to the uttermost parts of the earth. We are blessed. And Christmas is a wonderful time of the year to remember these blessings, to count them carefully, and to share them with others. Mary says here, Behold, look at this. See the greatness in this. We are blessed forever. And Mary continues to highlight God in His blessings in verse 49. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Can anyone here relate to that? And holy is His name. Just a quick note, be sure to read Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Mary's prayer here has many echoes of the exaltation given in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2 by Hannah, who is Samuel the prophet's mother. It was her pregnancy also that was a very unique miracle of the Lord. You probably remember the account of her weeping, weeping in the tabernacle. And the priest saying, what's wrong with you? Have you had too much to drink? Boy, these guys can get it wrong sometimes. She said, no, my heart is heavy. Read the prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. The fact that Mary references Hannah's prayer all throughout her exaltation helps us to realize that Mary was well acquainted with the Holy Scriptures. This again highlights the kind of person whom God favors and uses mightily in this world. The person who knows and loves the Word of God. The MacArthur Study Bible says this, Mary's Magnificat is filled with Old Testament allusions and quotations. It reveals that Mary's heart and mind were saturated with the Word of God. And it goes on to say, these verses also contain, contain numerous allusions to the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. The entire passage is a point-by-point -point reciting of the covenant promises of God. Mary knew the Scriptures. And back to verse 49, she said, For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. We have to appreciate the way Mary's eye moves back and forth between herself and the Lord God. There's a marvelous truth, again, right beneath the surface here. We cannot properly see ourselves apart from seeing God and seeing His attributes with increasing clarity. We're just getting going in this exaltation that Mary is giving. And we're already seeing she is referred to the Lord who is exalted, God who saves and is compassionate and merciful, and the Mighty One who is holy. Mary is blessed because she knows and magnifies God. And she is personally able to say, the mighty one has done great things for me. What a marvelous truth to ring loudly in our hearts throughout the Christmas season. And similarly to what we observed earlier, he is not just mighty, he is mighty for us. He's not just God, he is our Savior. I know that many of us, as I alluded to in the intro here, we long not to get swept up in the busyness, the commercialism, the materialism of the holiday. But how do we actually avoid that? How do we make this a truly worshipful month? 
one step we must take is to acknowledge that the Mighty One has done great things for us. List them. Talk about them with your family and friends. Pray them back to God in thanksgiving. Gratitude for both His spiritual and His physical blessings. Mary says this about the Mighty One. Holy is His name. That name above all names. It is divine and there is none like it in all the earth. It is set apart in a class all to itself. You know the words of Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, these come to mind. For this reason also, God highly exalted Him. That is Jesus Christ. God magnified Jesus Christ. And bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. And those who, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This part of Mary's prayer prompts me to ask, how often do I bow my head in prayer and meaningfully say, holy, 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 there is none like you in all the earth, O Lord. I think we all agree that baby in the manger was beautiful. Surely the baby was beautiful. But even more importantly, he was holy. God is not just great, he is holy. He is not just mighty, he is holy. The holiness of God must be coupled with all his attributes, or he is not a good God. It's because the immeasurable power and wisdom and will of God is holy that you and I can trust him with every fiber of our faith. He is trustworthy and the, in the broadest and deepest sense because He is holy. He is perfect and pure, absent of all evil, righteous altogether. Oh, that we would learn to pray more like Mary. Now note, I did not say to Mary. Observe all throughout this prayer that Mary's focus is solely on God her Savior, her name is not holy, she is not mighty, she has no saving power and makes no claim of being worthy of exaltation. She ascribes to herself, on the contrary, the position of being humble, bondslave, saved and blessed by the one who has all the might and deserves all the praise and worship. Allow me to very humbly say, these are some of the truths that distinguish our faith from that of the Catholic Church. We agree on many points, but there is a monstrous chasm of difference here and on some other doctrines. And I humbly urge all of you to search the Scriptures for yourself and see if you do not find these truths that we are studying in Mary's prayer to be so. Let the Scripture and the Holy Spirit alone be the sole authority of our faith. Verse 50. Mary goes on to say, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Mary, in a most exemplary way for us, continues to substantiate her reason for exalting God and rejoicing in his salvation. And the point she makes here is that his mercy is great. Our theme song over the past couple of months has been, 
His mercy is more. Listen to these words again. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. There's our humble state. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. What riches of kindness He lavished on us. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. Say it with me. His mercy is more. That was the prayer of Mary. She rightly says, His mercy is upon generation after generation. But here's the fearful, fearful truth. Not all are recipients of the compassion of God. As Mary accurately states, His mercy is toward those who fear Him. What does it mean to fear the Lord? What does that look like? Well, we're looking at it right here in the text today. This whole exaltation is the heart cry of someone who reveres and respects and submits to the power of the Almighty. They believe Him to be who He says He is, and they live accordingly. And note, the good and healthy fear of the Lord produces, produces exaltation and rejoicing. Not cowardice and terror, or the fear that one might be unjustly ruined by the whims of an immoral and hot-tempered God. On the contrary, the fear of the Lord brings down the mercy and salvation of the Lord. And it leaves us in the humble state of worship and joy. We have such reason to celebrate this Christmas. Look at verse 51. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. Contrary to the power of God <clears throat> being wrought for the salvation and joy of the believer, the strong arm of God is also used to scatter the proud. He ruins their plans even with the breath of his nostrils. Job's four, four, Job 4.9 says, By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they come to an end. And here Mary refers to the strong arm of God. Picture his mighty arm sweeping across the table of the earth and throwing all the pieces in every direction. My little Gracie loves to do that to her siblings when they're playing board games on the coffee table. Don't underestimate her strong arm. She can ruin your game in two-thirds of a second flat. <laughs> Same thing for Legos. If she doesn't like the food she's eating on her, you know, her high chair. Don't do that, baby. <laughs> That's just the world I'm living in right now. You've got to forgive my analogies. <laughs> but on a global scale, God sees those who are proud in heart. He sees those who are proud in, even in the thoughts of their heart. 
He looks deep into the heart and soul of man and he sees what is there. And he scatters the proud. That is reason for true godly fear. A fear that does not run from God, but a fear that runs to him in humble worship and faith. How blessed we are to know that the good and right fear of the Lord allows the grace of God to daily keep washing away the pride of man in us. Such marvelous hope. Such truth we find in these verses. Verse 52, He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. Mary continues her contrast. Even the proud kings of the earth were no match for the mighty one. And what a word picture. God pulls them down from their thrones. And he exalts the humble. There's a sense here, a distinct sense in which we get the impression that he puts the humble in their place, on their thrones. 2 Timothy 2.12, If we endure, true to the faith, we will also reign with him. What about Revelation 5, 9, and 10? and the end times. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Now we're not going to get into an eschatological study of the millennial reign right now, because we want to get out of here before Christmas. But the point is this, God exalts the humble. That is the simple and very clear truth. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace, that is divine strength. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. You know, the more I study Christianity in, in, the, in the Bible, the more I am overwhelmed at the evidence for faith. My heart cries out, who wouldn't want to be a child of God? We are of all people most blessed. Verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. Mary continues to highlight the contrasts God provides, and He does it well. And it's not on account of our great riches or our great business savvy or great strength. God is actually quite able to pull back our small fingers and to remove the wealth and power from our hands whenever and however He pleases. How much better to, the, to be the person who God feeds To know that the God of the universe is our provider than to be the person God is sending away empty-handed, the person God is rejecting, the person He is closing the door upon. Mary rejoices because God feeds hungry souls and He feeds them well. We exalt God because He does take good care of us. Does that mean we never experience pain? Hardly. Does it mean we never have a severe trial? Of course not. 
Does every illness get miraculously healed? Not yet. We do have trials, but His mercy is more. His provision is good. And it'll be just as good for our kids and our kids' kids as it is for us and was for Mary and for David and Hannah and Abraham. God is so good. Verse 54, He has given help to Israel, His servant, in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. What was the mercy that God now remembered and brought to pass? What was it that God spoke to Abraham? What was the promise of help to him and his descendants forever? Before I answer, allow me again to just interject. My heart breaks for those who write off the Old Testament as being insignificant and outdated. Without the old context... They are missing the invaluable gem right here in Luke chapter 1. Just in one instance. God's covenant with Abraham. You can find God's covenants in passages like Genesis 15, 17, 22. God covenanted, as many of you know, to give, to give Abraham a son, even in his wife's old age, and not only to give him a son, but also to give him children numerous as the stars of the heavens and as the sands of the seashore. And not only that, but also to give land for his descendants. And furthermore, God said it was an everlasting covenant to his son Isaac. In Genesis chapter 22, 18, God went so far as to say, in your seed... All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And my, how God blessed the nations through the seed of Abraham, through the person of Jesus Christ. The Messiah had come. The Savior had come. How noteworthy that Mary was clinging to these promises, these covenants of God that he made to her forefathers a very, very long time ago. She was a woman of deep faith. The Mighty One has given help to Israel his servant in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. If God waits a thousand years to fulfill his promise to you and me, will we still cling to the promises? If he waits beyond the 60, 70, or 80, or 90 years we have on this earth, will our faith remain in him? We worship and we celebrate Christmas and all that Christ represents because God is faithful to his promises. He keeps his covenants. Joshua 23, verse 14, bears this record. This was Joshua's parting words to, to Israel. He said, now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth. As I'm saying, I'm going back to the dust of the ground. 
And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. Not one word. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. End quote. Jump forward to the New Testament, Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is what? Faithful. He keeps his promises. He keeps his covenants. How appropriate that at the end of the prayer, at the end of the day, Mary finds herself pointing to God who keeps all his promises. And those promises are precious to the believer. There are many in this room who understand what I'm about to say even better than I understand it. The older I get, the more I see and experience God keeping His promises, and the more that means to me. Every Christmas that comes and goes is sweeter than the one before because God has for another 12 months kept His promises. His truth, His goodness, his faithfulness have been proven again that year. We have every reason to greatly rejoice this Christmas season. And thankfully, the celebration doesn't stop on December 26th like it does for most of the world. Have your hearts been blessed by the Word of God today? Isn't the Scripture rich? Mary's prayer should be our prayer. Every one of these exalting truths applies richly to us. I encourage you and myself to take these verses and let them help guide our Christmas season worship. Anyone who walks away singing these praises is going to have a wonderful Christmas season. Next Sunday is the Sunday before Christmas. And today we've looked at a Christmas exaltation this is Mary's expression of praise. And next Sunday, we're going to look further into Luke chapter 1 at what Enrico read, Zachariah's expression of praise. That's going to begin in verse 67, Luke chapter 1, 67. This is another most glorious text. We'll call it a Christmas proclamation. Who was Zachariah's son? Who was the baby in the womb? John the Baptist. Do you and I have anything to proclaim at Christmas and beyond? Oh my goodness, yes. Next week we'll look at that proclamation. Expect God to bless His Word in our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You. Not for the prayer of Mary, but first and foremost for being the God who deserves such words. You are worthy because you are the Most High, worthy of glory and power and honor, worthy of our obedience and love. Thank you, Lord, that you, being as awesome as you are, had regard for the humble state of Mary, just another one of your servants. But what an example we find in her life, in her view of herself, in her words of worship. Lord, help us to learn 
more about you. And when we pray, let us pray with substance, not just acknowledging that you are a quote-unquote great God, but Lord, help us to magnify you as Mary has magnified you, as Paul has magnified you, as Peter and David and all those in Scripture magnified you and helped us to see the detail, the infinite detail of a wondrous God. And Lord, to think that you had regard not only for Mary, but for us, that you looked upon us and you loved us while we were yet sinners. You loved us before we loved you. And you sent your son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, a debt we could never afford, as the song says. Lord, if there is one here who has not understood the gift of God, the gift of the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, I pray that they would open your word and understand this day. Lord, help them to see the truths that affect not only this life in the most wonderful way, but even more importantly, one's eternity. There is a difference between heaven and hell. Lord, help us to be a people who savor the salvation you have given, who rejoice in you, not only our God, but our Savior. Help us to see your mighty arm. Help us to see how we have been blessed and you have provided in every good and perfect way. Lord, help us fear for what happens to the enemies of God in such a way that we not only rejoice in our salvation, but proclaim it from the rooftops. Give us a passion and a, and a, a longing even now to be like John the Baptist, who prepare the way of the Lord in the hearts of others, who are eager to proclaim the Savior has come. Thank you for coming, Lord. We worship you this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.